Well, good morning, friends. If you have your Bible, I encourage you to open those. Uh, for our scripture reading today, our scripture reading today will be John chapter 21, verses 1 through 14. And today we are uh, finally in the last chapter of the Gospel of John. I know, I, I'm, I, I'm surprised, I, I, I'm sure some of you are surprised we ever made it to the last chapter of the Gospel of John, but we are there today. And uh, just kind of paint the picture of where we are. Uh, two weeks ago we saw Jesus resurrected, then last week we saw him appear to Mary Magdalene, to the ten, and then to Thomas. We saw those three different groups of people. Their faith was barely hanging on by a thread, and Jesus meets them there in that space. And then today, Jesus appears to seven disciples, but really it's for only one of the disciples, Peter, because Peter is carrying around with him regret. And that's what we're going to see today. John chapter 21, verses 1 through 14. It says this, After these things, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples at the Sea of Tiberias, and he manifested himself in this way. Simon Peter and Thomas, called Didymus, or twin, and Nathaniel of Cana, what else happened in Cana? In Galilee. And the sons of Zebedee. And two others of his disciples were together. Simon Peter said to them, you know what guys, I'm going to go fishing. They said to him, we will also come with you. They went out and got into the boat, and that night they caught nothing. But notice this part. But when the day was now breaking, where have we heard that before? Jesus stood on the beach, and yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. So Jesus said to them, children, you do not have any fish, do you? They said, they answered him, no. And Jesus said to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat, and you will find a catch. So they cast, and then they were not able to haul it in because of the great number of fish. Therefore, that disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it is the Lord. How did he know? So when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put his outer garment on, for he was stripped for work, and threw himself into the sea. Classic Peter. But the disciples came in the little boat, for they were not far from the land, about a hundred yards away, and then dragging with him the net full of fish. So when they got out on the land, notice this part, they saw a charcoal fire already laid, and fish placed on it, and bread. And Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish which you have now caught. Simon Peter went up and drew the net to the land full of large fish, 153. And although there were so many, the net was not torn. Verse 12. Then Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. None of the disciples ventured to question him, who are you? Knowing that it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them and the fish likewise. Now this was now the third time that Jesus was manifested to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. Amen. Thank you. If you have your Bible, I would encourage you to turn with me to John chapter 21. John chapter 21. As I have mentioned already, I'm, I'm sure some of you are surprised that I actually made it here to the last chapter. Uh, we are finally here. I, believe it or not, I'm actually going to finish the Gospel of John on May 15th, some two years later. We started the Gospel of John at this time of year, I believe, in 2020. There we go. But today, I want, I want you today, I, I don't really want to speak to your mind. I really want to speak to your heart. Because today, I want you to embrace God's forgiveness whether we realize it or not, whether we see it or not, or feel it or not, each of us carry around with us regrets in our, on our back 
that we have not confessed to the Lord. John chapter 21, verses 1 through 14, is a story really about Peter, but it's a little bit more than that. It's a story about regret and past mistakes. Let me ask you a question. You don't have to raise your hand to this one, um, but how many of you have ever done something and then almost immediately afterwards said, you know, that probably wasn't the best decision? Okay, anybody ever been there before? What's that called? That's, that's called regret. How many of you have ever regretted something before? Now, what is that like? Some of us take that regret, we take those mistakes, and we really never bring it before the throne of grace. We instead put it on our back and carry it around with us. But listen, friends. If you get nothing else out of my sermon today, if you sleep for the next 45 minutes, and that's cool, I, I sometimes notice, and some of y'all are trickier than others when you sleep, it's cool, um, if you want to sleep. But if you just get nothing else out of today, I hope it is this, that Jesus Christ forgives you. That all of the mistakes and sins and guilt and all that stuff, that Jesus Christ forgives you. That is why he died on the cross to pay for our sin. All of the mistakes that you have are forgiven. Today I'd like to talk to you about your backpack of regret. And today I want to talk to every single Peter in the room. Now what is a Peter? Peter gets a bad rap in evangelical circles. Can I get an amen to that one? I mean, he does shove his foot in his mouth a lot, and he, and he acts kind of impulsively, which he does today. But, but to all the Peters in the room, those that are sincere in their faith, but are struggling to let go of the past. Let me give you an illustration. I'm going to walk around here. I brought something for you all to remember this sermon by. This, this backpack is, I, I don't wear this as much as my other pack I have, but this is a gigantic pack. And how many of you know what this is? This is a hiker's backpack. It's where you pack a bunch of food and go overnight for like four days. This backpack is an illustration of the Christian life. That as we live life, and as we make mistakes, and as we regret, and all, all that stuff, what we actually do is we take all of the mistakes that we make, big and small, small ones, subject... For whatever reason, sometimes I regret things I said in like the fifth grade. Does anybody ever do that? Looking back on things, it's really weird. Um, but the Lord forgives you of that. But what we do, instead of seeking the forgiveness of the Savior, what we do is we then take those small mistakes that we make in all times of our life. We're imperfect human beings. And instead of asking for forgiveness, we're like, we just kind of take it and we put it on our back and it weighs us down. Some of us make Big mistakes, and we also put that in there. Some of us make regrets of our career or something that we said to our wife last week. Men, forgive and, and ask for forgiveness. We take big mistakes and small mistakes, and then we kind of put it in our pack, weighing us down in life, but then we make it even more complicated on ourselves. We take the mistakes of other people, both good and bad, and we put it in our pack. Now, what's this called when you take somebody else's mistakes towards you and you don't really deal with it? It's called, what, bitterness? Now, I'm just going to say, uh, genetically speaking, the Bradshaws are predisposed for bitterness. Okay, that is a multiple generational thing. So then what we do is, instead of seeking the forgiveness of God, we take big and small and even other people's mistake and we put it in our backpack of regret and we carry this around wherever we go. 
And what does this do? It weighs us down. It slows us down from following the Lord. This is the reason why it says in Hebrews chapter, ch- chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us, what? Lay aside every encumbrance, the backpack of regret, every encumbrance, and the sin which so easily entangles us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, fixing our eyes upon Jesus. Today I'm speaking to all the Peters in the room, those that are sincere in their faith but have regrets in the past. Peter is met by the Savior right there. Jesus addresses the mistakes of Peter that he made through two items, through the charcoal and through the bread. Did you notice that in verse 9? That there are three things that Jesus purposefully has. He has a charcoal fire, and he has bread, and then he has fish. And what Jesus is doing with those three items, he sees telling, teleporting Peter back to when that was. And he is telling Peter in that space, I forgive you. The question we are seeking to answer today is how can we rid ourselves of our backpack of regret? How can we take off all of the mistakes that we carry around with us. How can we embrace forgiveness? That is what we're talking about today. So if you have your Bible, turn with me to John chapter 21. John chapter 21, and we will be unpacking verses 1 through 14. And today we will see the backpack Peter carries of all of his mistakes and regrets. And then Jesus offloads Peter's pack of regrets through a charcoal fire, some bread, and some fish. If you have your text in front of you, I'm going to give you a little bit of a preview of our text today. If you ever want to know how to outline a passage, one of the easiest ways to do it is to look at the paragraphs. If you look at John chapter 21, verses 1 through 14, you'll pretty much see three main paragraphs. You have verses 1 through 3, 4 through 8, and then 9 through 14. Verses 1 through 3 is Peter's return to the familiar. Where does Peter go? He goes back to fishing. Why? Because it is familiar. Verses 4 through 8, you see Peter's reaction to the Savior. And verses 9 through 14, you see Peter's restoration by the Savior. And the question we're answering today is how can we rid ourselves of our backpack of regret? But let us kind of um, set the stage for today. Let us not go too far into the story because it's very important for us to remember the context of the passage that we read today. Now, I'm not going to go all into the TMI and do a huge treatise like I did a couple of weeks ago about the last couple of weeks of Jesus' ministry. But as we step into the context today, what happened? A couple of weeks before John chapter 21, on that Thursday night, Jesus is arrested on top of the Mount of Olives. Then he is led to where? To three Jewish trials, but one before Honest Caiaphas, and then before... The Sanhedrin, there we go, I remembered it off the top of my head. The Supreme Court of Israel, he has tried those three times. And then in John chapter 18, verse 28, what happens? They bring him before Pontius Pilate, the Roman governor at the time, so that he would kill him for blasphemy, crucify him. And then what happens? Jesus is crucified, he is buried, and he is resurrected from the dead. And then what happens in John chapter 20, verses 1 and 2? Mary Magdalene goes to the tomb at daybreak on that Sunday morning, and what does she find? She finds just linen sitting there. So what is her conclusion instantaneously? Not that Jesus raised from the dead, but what? That somebody stole the body. And then we see Mary, the one thing, 
that brought her comfort from losing her Savior is that at least she knew where his body was. And now, in her eyes, that's been taken from her. So then Jesus meets Mary Magdalene, he meets the ten, and he meets Thomas. He meets Mary Magdalene, who is so distraught in John chapter 20, that she doesn't even notice the angels that are glowing in white. She doesn't notice Jesus. She thinks that Jesus is a gardener. But Jesus, but Jesus meets Mary there. He meets the hurting. He finds Mary in the midst of her despair, in the midst of her faith, barely hanging on by a thread. And he calls her by name and leads her out. Then Jesus finds the fearful. It says the ten disciples are hiding in their own homes behind closed doors for fear of the Jews. And Jesus kind of goes through the wall and finds them there in all of their fear. And he shows them that he is alive, proving that all of his promises still count. And then you fast forward eight days. And who does he find? He finds Thomas, the doubting Thomas. We all would doubt too, okay? And then instead of... That's one of the things I love about this, this picture of Jesus that we see. That instead of shaming Thomas, instead of degrading him, he goes to Thomas and he shows him his what? His hands and his side, proving that he is alive from the dead. He invites those who doubt to believe. And then in John chapter 21, verses, verse 1, it says, And after these things, and then where we pick up today, the next event after appearing to Thomas is the Sea of Galilee. And what we see at the end of chapter 20, to be honest, at the end of chapter, John chapter 20, we could really pause and close the Gospel of John because we actually see the epilogue at the end of John chapter 20. We see the statement of purpose for the entire book. We have the prologue in John chapter 1 verses 1 through 18, and then we have the epilogue at the end of 20. And so, John chapter 21 is kind of, just kind of tacked on there. But today, it is so important for Peter to know that he is forgiven. And listen, friends, if you are a Peter, you may be sincere in your faith, but you are carrying with you a backpack of regret. Today is for you. Because the Savior wants to come and tell you that you are forgiven. Peter, Jesus forgives Peter over a charcoal fire with some bread and some fish. And who is Peter? Petros, who is he? Simon Peter, he's also known in the New Testament. Peter is the one that was promised to hold the keys to the kingdom of God. Peter was promised that on this rock, Jesus will build his church. Peter is the one that saw Jesus transfigured. He is the one that exclaimed that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, who contains the very words of God. Peter is the disciple that got out of the boat and walked on water. Peter is a man who has great accomplishments. He is a great leader. He has great potential. He is a man of faith. He is a man of commitment. Peter has left everything in his life to follow Jesus Christ because he hopes that Jesus Christ is the Messiah of the Old Testament. But who is Peter here? He is a man that carries with him a backpack of regret. Why do I say, where, where am I getting this from? What happened? Remember in the upper room in John chapter 13, we'll unpack this more here in just a moment. What does Jesus predict? He predicts that, G, that Peter will deny Jesus, although Peter says that he is ready to die. Then in John chapter 18, what happens? Peter denies his Lord. Peter is Judas Jr. At least that's how he feels. Whereas Judas 
sells his Savior out for 30 pieces of silver, or modern-day $1,000, Peter then denies his Lord three times, and then what happened? The rooster crowed. And then that is where we pick up. John chapter 21, verses 1 through 3, notice what Peter does. Peter returns to the familiar. He carries with him the backpack of regret from the upper room and from his denying his Savior. John chapter 21, verse 1, says, It's after these things Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples at the Sea of Tiberias. Notice that. And he manifested himself in this way. I want you to notice in verse 1 a couple of things here. Notice first it says, after these things. What does that tell you? It's referring to John chapter 20, verses 26 through 29. So the last thing that actually happened was about a week ago, he appeared to Doubting Thomas and the ten disciples. Number two, I want you to notice in verse 1, it says that he manifested himself again to the disciples at the Sea of Tiberias. Now what is the Sea of Tiberias? The Sea of Tiberias is the Roman name for the Sea of Galilee. But I was thinking this week, why would John call the Sea of Galilee the Sea of Tiberias? It, it, it tells you something of his audience, right? That John here is writing to both Jew and Gentile because a Jew would know what the Sea of Tiberias is and a Gentile would know what the Sea of Tiberias is. John is writing his epistle, his letter for both Jew and Gentile. And then notice number three, notice the last phrase that says that he manifested himself in this way. What does that mean? That, that, that is a preview of what is to come. Then notice the rest of the story. Notice what Peter does. Simon Peter and Thomas called Didymus, or twin, as I told you last week, I'm a twin, and I'm not identical because I have a sister. Anyways, moving on. Don't ask me if I'm identical. She's a, she's a girl. Okay. I'll just look at you cross-eyed. Okay. <laughs> And Nathaniel of Cana in Galilee and the sons of Zebedee and two others of his disciples were together. And Simon Peter said to them, I'm tired of waiting here. I'm going fishing. Okay. Now, I, I, I love Peter because he is a leader. He's great. He's not afraid to say or do something. But like most leaders, he is, um, we would say, a bit impulsive at times, to, to put it mildly. But then notice what he says to these other six disciples. He says to them, I'm going fishing. Now in the original language, that, the, the mood there is the mood of certainty. It's the indicative mood. What Peter is saying is that I'm going fishing and I don't care. But where was he? He was up in Galilee. So picture this. In John chapter 20, he is in Jerusalem. And then Jesus tells him in Matthew chapter 28 to go up to Galilee. So to walk essentially through Samaria to Galilee. And what does he say in Matthew chapter 28 verse 10? To wait for me in the, in, beside the sea of Galilee on a mountain that he has named. But Peter is obviously tired of waiting around for Jesus to show up. So then Peter just says... I'm going to go fishing. And why does Peter go fishing? Because it is familiar to him. Notice the rest of verse 3. Notice what the disciples said. They said to him, we will also come with you. So they went out and got into the boat. And that night they caught nothing. So who is all with Peter? There's seven people in total that are going fishing on the Sea of Galilee that are essentially disobeying the Lord's commands. Okay. Well, number one, it's Peter. Peter carries with him on the Sea of Galilee a backpack of regrets. 
He seems that he can't just shake off denying his Lord three times the night that Jesus, the day that Jesus is crucified. And then you have Thomas called twin. Thomas has a baggage too. He has a backpack of regret. What did he do? He doubted his Lord. He doubted the, the message of the other ten disciples. Then you have a guy named Nathaniel. We don't know a whole lot about him. The first time we meet Nathaniel is in John chapter 1, where Nathaniel calls Jesus the Son of God and the King of Israel. And then it says that you have the sons of Zebedee. These guys. Now, who are the sons of Zebedee? I'm hearing some murmurs. It is James and John. Do they have baggage? We, we identify the sons of Zebedee as James and John, but what happened in Matthew chapter 20? Their, their, their mother went to bat for him, if you remember that, okay? So the mother, you know, basically took her sons to the principal's office to talk some sins into the principal, right? So the, the mother of the sons of Zebedee, James and John, go to Jesus in Matthew chapter 20, asking for her two sons to sit on the right and left of Jesus. What do you think that did to the disciples? You think it kind of set a little bit of jealousy and envy? You better believe it did. So you hear, you not only have Peter who has his regret, and you not only have Thomas, but now you have the sons of Zebedee who have this friction with the disciples, the other parts of their team. And then you have two other disciples that we don't know who they are. But listen, friends. We don't know all of the baggage that these seven disciples have. But each of them have it. They each have regrets that they carry with them. And Jesus, through a charcoal fire and some bread, communicates to Peter and to the disciples that he forgives them. I want you to picture Peter for just a second and why he actually goes to fish. What's been going on the last couple of weeks in the Gospel of John? To be honest with you, the last couple of weeks in the disciples' life have been rather uneventful. Why do I say that? Because obviously the Easter Sunday morning was eventful. Jesus rose from the dead and he appeared to Peter. But since then, he's only appeared one other time to Thomas in the room where they hid in Jerusalem. So think about, but so think about Peter. He's sitting around in Galilee, probably rather bored. And he's sitting there stewing in all of his regret that he had towards the Son of God. And what did he give up to follow Jesus? He gave up a fishing business. And so what does Peter do? In the midst of uncertainty, in the midst of him waiting for a Savior to return and to show up with more instruction, Peter returns to what is familiar fishing. In the midst of uncertainty, we as Christians, but we as people often return to what is familiar. For example, when I left for seminary about, uh, man, goodness gracious, how long ago was that? That was 12 years ago. I had a lot more hair then, um, believe it or not. But 12, 12 years ago, we uprooted our life from Huntsville, Alabama. We moved halfway across America, and we plotted in a city that we only visited once or twice before. And there was tons of uncertainty. And the first, one of the first things I did, even really before I found a job, okay, is I went to find a gym to work out in. Why? Because that was familiar. I saw an NBA documentary recently of Steve Kerr. Anybody remember that guy? Okay. His father was murdered because he was a president of American University in the Middle East. And the day after his dad was murdered, he went to a gym to go shoot hoops. We return to what is familiar in times of uncertainty. Think about, think about Peter. Think about what happened on the Sea of Galilee. He walked on water. 
He had a fishing business. What else happened on the Sea of Galilee? He heard many sermons. That, the Sea of Galilee is where the Lord found him for the very first time. Peter returns to the Sea of Galilee because it was familiar. Listen to me. I'm going to say something real quick. Instead of seeking the forgiveness of God for our mistakes, what we often do is instead of seeking his forgiveness, we return to what is familiar. And then what we do is we essentially take that regret and just kind of add it to the rest of them and just kind of make our backpack heavier and heavier and heavier. That's what Peter is doing here. He returns to what is normal. Instead of actually dealing with the issue, he just adds more weight to his spirit. How can we rid ourselves of our backpack of regret, recognize what we retreat to? But then notice the two tangible items that Jesus uses to forgive Peter. But now I want you to notice first, so verses 1 through 3 is Peter's return to the familiar. Verses 4 through 8 is Peter's reaction to the Savior. Verse 4 of chapter 21 says this, But when the day was now breaking, but when the day was now breaking, Jesus stood on the beach, yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Now, okay, I'm going to look at that first verse. But when the day was now breaking, what else happened quite recently at daybreak? Right at daybreak, what else happened? Jesus was taken before Pontius Pilate, Romans chapter 18, verse 28. What else happened at daybreak? Proe. You, Jesus rose from the dead that Mary Magdalene showed up at the tomb. It was dark at night. But then what else happened? This is really important. What else happened at daybreak? The rooster crowed. So Jesus finds Peter and the disciples right at the moment that Jesus denied his Lord just two weeks earlier. Notice, let's continue the story. Verse 4. But when the day was now breaking, same time Peter denied his Lord, Jesus stood on the beach and yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Notice that. And so Jesus said to them, Children, you do not have any fish, do you? And they answered him, No. I want you to notice here a couple of things. Number one, they did not recognize Jesus. Why? Well, first, it was dark outside. And second, that Jesus had a glorified body. He looked a little different. And number three, that they're at least 100 yards away. And then number two, notice what Jesus calls them. He calls them children. Now, I... If someone called you a child as a grown adult, you probably would be a little insulted, amen? Um, but he calls his disciple children. In my opinion, this displays his love for his disciples. That he views his disciples as his children, as his sheep, and he loves his disciples. Why do I say that? John, Matthew chapter 12, verse 49 in the midst of his biological brothers and sisters, Jesus points to his disciples and says, Behold, essentially, my family. He calls them children. What I see here is not Jesus the judge. I see Jesus the good shepherd, the one who calls his children by name and leads them out. We see his tenderness. Verse 6, And Jesus said to them, Cast. The net on the right side of the boat, and you will find a catch. So they cast. Then they were not able to haul it because of the great number of fish. Have you guys heard that story before? 
I, I was sitting in Panera Bread this week, and I didn't um, in, intend to even go here, but I was sitting there thinking to myself, wait a second, this, this, this story sounded a wee bit familiar. Luke chapter 6. If you remember that story, it is the exact, exact same identical story. They are fishing all night, and they catch nothing. And Jesus says to them from the shore, put your net in deep water. And then what happens in Luke chapter 6? They pull up their nets, and there is so much fish that the boat almost begins to sink, and the nets are beginning to tear. So, but then notice John's reaction. So the cast, verse 7. Therefore the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it is the Lord. How does he know that? Because he remembers what happened three years earlier in Luke chapter 6. John says, wait a second, I've seen this once before. It happened three years ago. That guy, that shadowy figure on the shore is my Savior. So then what does Peter do? Verse 7, therefore that disciple John, whom Jesus loved, said to Peter, it is the Lord. So when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he was stripped for work. I guess he wanted to be dignified around his Lord. And threw himself into the sea, verse 8. But the other disciples came in a little boat, for they were not far from land, but about 100 yards away. I believe it says 200 cubits in the original language. Dragging, there we go, the net full of fish. This is, this is classic Peter. I, I love his reaction here, because what does he do? What a, okay, picture this. So you, ha, you and all your buddies are in a boat, okay? You and six other people, seven of you, right? And then all of a sudden, you pull up this net full of fish, and instead of actually helping your other friends, what does Peter do? He just kind of jumps in and swims the distance. So I imagine, like, John is sitting there pulling in this big net of fish, and then Peter jumps in the water. Hey, wait a second! Peter, what I love about Peter is he doesn't let his regret and shame restrict his love for the Savior. Listen, friends, you may have regret and you may have mistakes in the past just like Peter, but you can still have a love relationship with the Lord. You see Peter react in a way that communicates that he loves his Lord. But then notice part number three, Peter's restoration by the Savior, verse 9. I'm going to camp on pretty much this verse the rest of our time. So when they got out on the land, they saw a charcoal fire already laid and fish placed on it and bread. There are three items in this scene, right? So you have a charcoal fire, you have some bread, and you have some fish. Search your mind for just a second. I want you to think about the Gospel of John for just a moment. When else have you heard of a charcoal fire before? There's only two times in the New Testament that the word charcoal fire is used. Both of them are in the Gospel of John. When is the last time we heard of a charcoal fire? John 18, verse 27. What does it say of Peter? That he was warming himself by a charcoal fire and he denied his Savior. Listen, I believe Jesus starts that charcoal fire to teleport Peter, 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 Peter back to the night. And he denied his Lord. And he is telling Peter with that charcoal fire on the shores of the Sea of Galilee, he's telling Peter that, Peter, remember this, I forgive you. Peter, remember this, I forgive you. 
Jesus makes that charcoal fire to communicate to Peter that all of the regret, all of the mistakes that Peter made that night from denying his Lord three times, from chopping a dude's ear off, okay, in, in the Garden of Gethsemane, that all the mistakes that Peter made are forgiven. But then notice the second item with me. Notice it says that there was bread. When's the last time he saw bread? When's the last time he ate bread with the Savior of the world? The upper room, John chapter 13, verses 36 through 38, right? So they're sitting around taking their Passover meal, and Jesus, what, tells them in John chapter 13, I'm going to go to flip there, notice the scene with me. So in John chapter 18, verse 27, Peter stands around a charcoal fire, but then notice John chapter 13. This is in the upper room. This is the same night that Jesus is arrested. Simon Peter said to the Lord, Lord, where are you going? And Jesus answered, where I go, you cannot follow me now, but you will follow later. Verse 37, Peter said to him, Lord, why can I not follow you right now? I will lay down my life for you, verse 38 of 13. And Jesus answered him, will you lay down your life for me? Truly, truly, I say to you, the... A rooster will not crow until you have denied me three times. The last time Peter ate bread with the Savior of the world was in the upper room. And at that moment, Peter declared that he would lay down his life for the Savior. And Jesus said to him, no, you won't. You're going to deny me three times before the rooster crowed. Those two events are on full display. That's why you see the charcoal fire and the bread. Jesus is teleporting Peter back to the night he was betrayed. And Jesus is saying to Peter, Peter, remember the bread. Remember the charcoal fire. I forgive you for all of it. Some of you here today are Peter. You are sincere in your faith. But you have made some mistakes. And you carry around with you wherever you go. Listen. If you want to know the regrets that you carry on your back, um, ask your spouse. (laughs) I guarantee you they will say that there are things in your past that you regret, that you carry around with you all of the guilt and all of the regret and all the sin. What Jesus is trying to get Peter to do is to embrace God's forgiveness. He's saying to Peter, I died on the cross because for people just like you, because of that charcoal fire that you warmed yourself up and that you denied me three times. I died for you. I forgive you for being ignorant to the fact that you will deny me before the rooster crows. For all of your mistakes, I will forgive you. Some of you here today need to hear this sermon because some of you are Peter. I, I, I don't know if the non-Peters in the room are sleeping on me. It's cool. But the Peters in the room, those that are sincere in their faith but have regret, let it go. Let it go. The forgiveness of God is enough to wash your soul clean of all charges. Just listen to these verses on forgiveness. I listed a few. The forgiveness of God is a real thing. That's why Jesus Christ died on the cross to pay for my penalty of sin and to forgive me and to make me justified, declared innocent of all guilt before the Father. Psalm 103, verse 12, verses on forgiveness. 
as far as the east is from the west. Catch this one. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. 1 John 1, nine. If you confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Acts, excuse me, Ephesians chapter 1, verse 8. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our transgressions, according to the riches of his grace which he lavished on us. Romans chapter 3, verses 23 through 25. For everyone has sinned and falls short of the glory of God, yet God in his grace freely makes us right in his sight. He did this through Christ Jesus when he freed us from the penalty of our sin. I don't know what you carry around. I don't know the mistakes. I can tell you my family history. Um, the Bradshaw men, my ancestors, do not carry around the regrets of their mistakes. They carry around the bitterness of other people's mistakes towards them. I'm not sure what this is filled with in your life. But the Lord forgives you. Can you embrace the forgiveness of the Lord and let it go? Because what does it say in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1 and 2? Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses around us, let us, what? Lay aside every encumbrance. And the sin which so easily entangles us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, fixing our eyes upon Jesus. And in verse 9, you see a charcoal fire, you see bread, and then you see fish. Verse 10. Jesus said to them, Bring some of the fish which you have caught. Simon Peter went up and drew the net full of large fish, 153. And although there were so many, the net was not torn. I'm going to continue the story. And Jesus said to them, Come and have breakfast. None of the disciples ventured to question him. Who are you, knowing that it was the Lord? Jesus came and took the bread, gave it to them, and the fish likewise. This is now the third time that Jesus was manifested to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. Why fish? What is he reminding Peter of? The charcoal and the bread are one thing, but the fish is another thing. What did he say, I believe in Matthew chapter 4, verse 19, I will make you fishers of men. I believe Jesus here, and we'll unpack this more next week, I believe Jesus here is recommissioning Peter to be a fisher of men, but what must Peter do first? He must let go of the past. He must embrace forgiveness of the Savior. As far as the east is from the west, so far the Lord has removed our transgressions from us. My point today is how can we rid ourselves of our backpack of regret, of of the past, is to embrace God's forgiveness and then take off our pack. Before I close, I'm just going to answer the question, so what, I'm realizing the time, and, and I guess I'm just a little bit longer winded this morning, I apologize for that. Um, but the, before I close, I want to answer the question, so what, how can we apply this to our life? This is what I want you to do today. I, I want you to do three things. I want you to look in your pack. I want you to look at all of the regrets and mistakes that you made in the past that you carry around with you wherever you go. Don't be ignorant to it. It's cool. Like, we, we, can, we often ignore this. Okay, hikers in the room. Let me just make it all straight. Hikers in the room. What's it like carrying a really heavy backpack on a long trip? Exhausting, all right? But, but hikers would agree, what? That you need this. So, so many times, believers, we wear ourselves out by not embracing the forgiveness of God when we don't need it. Amen? Go through it. Look 
at your past, the mistakes that you carry with you, and just with each and every one, embrace the forgiveness of God. Peter. Jesus had all of the reason to be bitter at Peter, but he even forgave Peter for denying his Lord. Number one, look in the backpack of all your regrets. Number two is ask for forgiveness. Proverbs 28.13 says this, He who conceals his transgressions will not prosper, but he who confesses and forsakes it will find compassion. And then number three is empty the pack. Let it go. Do not let your past define your future. Do not let your past slow you down. I'm just going to say something before I close. I have seen so many Christians struggle with this. Amen? They carry with them all the mistakes of the past. And listen, I've seen in my family personally, I've seen men that once followed the Lord slow down and walk away from the past, but not even from the mistakes that they made, but from the bitterness that they carry towards other believers. Listen, friends, forgive it all. Let it go. Before I close, allow me just to share the gospel. If you do not know Christ Jesus as your Lord and Savior, he offers you the gift of eternal life by faith in him, that if you believe in Jesus Christ, you shall be saved. The purpose of John's gospel is that, very thing. These things have been written so you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and believing in him, you may have life in his name. The point of the Gospel of John is for you to trust in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior and have eternal life. Jesus Jesus says in John chapter 10, I have come that you might have life and have it abundantly. If you do not have Christ Jesus, if you never trusted him, if you never placed your faith in him, I would encourage you to find me after the service. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, we thank you for today. We thank you for the message to Peter and to all the Peters in the room. To those that are sincere in their faith, to those that long to follow you. Lord, I pray that we would lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us. And Lord, we thank you for today. We thank you that you do not shame Peter, you do not, you do not shame him for your mistakes, but you gently tenderly as the good shepherd confirm and tell Peter that he is forgiven Lord I pray that we would embrace your forgiveness and for those that do not know you as Lord I pray that they would trust in you and have eternal life I thank you for Calvary Bible Church and there are many that aren't here today they're enjoying the, the nice weather outside and Lord I just pray for them that you would protect them and thank you for just this church and all the ways that you are working and we lift this up to you in Jesus name Amen